Spirit, we thank you that we can come together without restriction. God, that we can just meet with other people. God, and we're all so different, but Lord, the one thing that brings us together is we love you and we are trying to do life with you. And and God, thank you that we have come this morning. I pray that you take each of the words that I say and the scriptures and God, that they would really impact people and we would live differently to today, I pray in Jesus' name. I've really been enjoying Ben's um, talking about waiting on God and, and then all the other people who've t- talked about it, Mao and Norfei. I don't know, I can't remember who else has preached, but a lot of people have been talking about it and it's been really good because it's been reminding us to focus on God. <clears throat> well, I've been thinking a whole lot about it, obviously, um, and I feel like God has shown me some things in the last few weeks and maybe they're just for me but because I'm here today you have to hear them so hopefully they'll encourage you and I want to start with a story about Elijah in the Old Testament I love the Old Testament I hadn't read it for ages and then quite a few months ago I thought I'm going to start reading the Old Testament again and it's been awesome so if you've got your Bibles you don't have to pull them out because we've got it up here maybe any minute now We'll have, anyway, it's 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 to 13, and I've got it in the message. This is a scripture, a passage of scripture that you've probably heard heaps of times. You've heard it probably preached on a few times. Let's read it. Then he was told, he's talking about Elijah, go stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind and earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, so Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? You know, this story is so well known and I've heard it preached on and read it a few times. You know, it's so powerful, the earthquake, the wind or the hurricane and the fire and God wasn't in that. And he was in the still small voice. And I've asked the question, and I'm probably heaps of you you have also, why? What is God trying to tell us here? And I used to think it was all about the still small voice of God. That God wants to speak to you in a still small voice. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit being like a dove, a gentle spirit. And we need to be quiet to hear from God. And that is very, very true. But when I was reading it a few weeks ago, it suddenly hit me that there's another lesson to be learned in this. And it's really, really powerful if it can sink into your heart. You know, the setup to this story, Elijah had just, um, he had just done an incredible uh, working of, I mean, he had facilitated or been part of an incredible working of the Holy Spirit. He, he um, Ahab was king and Jezebel, I think, 
yep, was his wife. And they're really anti-God, the horrible anti-God people. And so um, Elijah had, had orchestrated through a whole heap of events. He'd, he'd called 400 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, another god of the time. He called them together and he was going to have a, a god off. <laughs> like, which god's better? Which god is going to actually prove that he is real? And so he said he had a massive altar. They built an altar and he said to all these 850 prophets, and these weren't just your average people. These were people who loved their god, who dedicated their life to their god, he said, okay, you sacrifice an animal and you pray, no fire, you ask your God to burn it, to send the fire. So these 850 people, probably plus heaps of bystanders and King Ahab, they were there. These 850 men of their, of their God were like crying out to God, come on, just burn this thing, God. And then after a few hours, nothing happened. So they started cutting themselves and hurting each other, come on God, just just do your thing, and Elijah starts, starts um, taunting them, maybe your God's asleep, maybe he's busy, it's in the Bible, <laughs> well I checked that, and it wasn't in the translation, so I didn't want to say that, but nothing happens, and then Elijah says, okay, now you out the way and I'll show you. So he, and he gets them to fill four jars of, um, with water and to pour it on the sacrifice and the stones. He dug a big moat around it and he said these four jars do that three times. So this altar with the sacrifice was drenched in water and there was a, like a little a trough around that was filled with water. And then Elijah goes, God, do what you do to show these people that you are real. And who knows what happens? Anyone? Bolt of lightning. It was probably, actually, it wasn't just a bolt of lightning. It was probably like a massive explosion because just fire fell and burned the sacrifice, the rocks, the wood, the water and the soil gone. God fell. So when we hear this and after the earthquake fire but God wasn't in the fire, you know Elijah had just seen God in the fire. So this is not teaching us that God is just in the still small voice because Elijah had just come from God being in the fire. And as I read this, I read on. You know, this last bit, um, a quiet voice asked, uh, a quiet voice asked, so Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? You know, when such a significant thing happens, I expect some, another significant thing like Elijah will have some incredible encounter with God. But you know what happens after this? Elijah goes, well, God, you know, Ahab wants to kill me and nobody likes me and I'm the only one left who loves you and it's just, it's just not fair. God, I'm just, oh, oh what am I going to do? He basically had a whinge before God. And then what does God do? He tells him what he needs 
to do. He says, well, if you do this and then do that, and then if you go here, we'll anoint some people and, you know, it's all going to be okay. And I, what are you trying to say? And the thing that hit me like a bombshell was that this whole story speaks about relationship with God. Because you cannot have relationship with someone who turns up in a fireball or who every time he comes in for a cup of tea, there's an earthquake or there's a mighty rushing hurricane. How can you have a daily relationship with a God like that? And God is saying that he has wants relationship with you. He is in the still small voice because that's what matters more than anything, more than his supernatural acts of power more than his his healings and miracles and provision and stuff the thing that matters is relationship 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 he's in miracles he's in supernatural acts he's in fire and hurricanes and earthquakes and provision but he wants relationship more than anything relationship he cares about the nitty-gritty and the god it's just not fair why am i the only one he cares. i don't know why but he cares that that is your battle he cares god is in the smalls of life you know there's another story that i read which just impacted me hugely and it's in chronicles It's about David and Solomon. And we're going to look at this one, maybe. Where do I click? Is it? No, I didn't turn it on. (laughs) You gave it to me and I thought you'd done it. Let's Let's all look at Ben and go, really? What was that? Whoa, I'm just going to stick it there. Okay, Chronicles. There it is. This is a long passage, and, but I just wanted you to understand the picture. So let's read it. Should I stand over here? So David declared, this is towards the end of his life. From now on, this is the site for the worship of God. So he wanted to build a temple and he's picked the spot. This is the place for Israel's altar of burnt offering. David ordered all the resident aliens in the land, it's a horrible term, just means foreigners, (laughs) to come together. He sent them to stone quarries to cut dressed stone to build the temple of God. He also stockpiled a huge quantity of iron for nails and bracings for the doors of the gates, more bronze than could be weighed. And cedar logs past counting. The Sidonians and the Tyrians shipped in huge loads of cedar logs for David. David was thinking, my son Solomon is too young to plan ahead for this, but the sanctuary that is to be built for God has to be the greatest, the talk of all the nations. So I'll get the construction materials together. That's why David prepared this huge stockpile of building materials before he died then he called in Solomon his son and commanded him to build a sanctuary for the God of Israel David said to Solomon I wanted in the worst way to build a sanctuary to honor my God but God prevented me saying you've killed too many people you've fought too many wars you are not the one to honor me by building a sanctuary and I think Mao spoke about this last Sunday 
Ashok spoke about it last Sunday. <laughs> um, you've been responsible for too much killing, too much bloodshed, but you are going to have a son and he will be a quiet and peaceful man and I will calm his enemies down on all sides. His very name will speak peace. That is Solomon, which means peace. And I'll give peace and rest under his rule. He will be the one to build a sanctuary in my honour. He'll be my royal adopted son and I'll be his father. And I'll make sure that the authority of his kingdom over Israel lasts forever. So now, son, this is David talking to Solomon. God be with you. Godspeed as you build the sanctuary for your God, the job God has given you. And may God also give you discernment and understanding when he puts you in charge of Israel so that you will rule in reverent obedience under God's revelation. That's what will make you successful, following the directions and doing the things that God commanded Moses for Israel. Courage, take charge, don't be timid, don't hold back. Look at this, I've gone to a lot of trouble to stockpile materials for the sanctuary of God. 100,000 talents, which is 3,775 tons of gold. A million talents of silver, tons of bronze and iron, too much to weigh. And all this timber and stone, and you're free to add more. And workers, both plentiful and prepared, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, artisans in gold, and silver, bronze, and iron. You're all set. Get to work and Godspeed. David gave orders to all of Israel's leaders to help his son Solomon, saying, Isn't it obvious that your God is present with you, that he has given you peaceful relations with everyone around? My part in this was to put down the enemies, subdue the land to God, and his people, and your part is to give yourselves heart and soul to praying to your God. So get moving, build the sacred house of worship to God, bring the chest of the covenant of God and all the holy furnishings for the worship of God into the sanctuary built in honour of God. So you know the story there, um, David wanted to build this temple, God said no you've been a man of war, a man of death, you're not the one. Your son Solomon, who was a man of peace, he's going to build the temple. You know, the temple in the Old Testament was the place of worship. That's where they went to offer sacrifices to get atonement for their sins. That is where they went to worship. It was a holy place. It was a place where men of God longed to be. People would look towards the temple. Moses, um, before the temple, there was a tent uh, which was like the, the, the temple and Moses would go there and the cloud of God would descend. It was a place, a holy place where people worshipped. You know, um, David prepared for Solomon to build the temple. He stockpiled all this stuff. David's job was to subdue the enemies in the land so that when Solomon came in, there would be an era of peace and rest and prosperity. That's what really hit me is the contrast between David's life. He was a man of war, a man who'd killed too many people. And Solomon, his very name meant peace. His job was to rule in peace and rest 
and prosperity. So, and David had provided all that was needed for him, all the resources that he needed to build this incredible temple. And when I read this, it just hit me, this, the um, similarity between before the cross, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. It suddenly hit me that when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated all our enemies. He defeated sin and death. He defeated sickness and disease. He defeated the things that, that, that the, in the Old Testament they had to contend with, that had to offer sacrifices, that had to go to a place to ask God to forgive them. When Jesus died on the cross, he did away with all that and ushered us into an era of the Holy Spirit, an era of peace, of rest. The scriptures here... Um, I just found some scriptures which are incredible. In, in John 14, verse 27, Jesus says to his, to his disciples, I am leaving you with a, a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Philippians 4 don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God's, Jesus' parting words were, I am leaving you with peace. Peace. Hebrews Four, and I'm not going to teach on this because I don't understand it. The rest of God. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3. For we who have believed, adhered to and trusted in and relied on God do enter that rest. We are in an age like Solomon where we have peace and rest. God has done, he has fought the battles on the cross. He has defeated the enemy and we just need to live in that peace and that rest. You know, like David, he provided all that Solomon needed. Jesus has done that. He tells us over and over again, don't worry, that scripture we read, we read don't worry about anything, but go to God and ask and he will provide you know, the other incredible similarity of this, this story was all about Solomon building a temple. Where is that temple now? Do we go to a temple? Is it the church? Is it here on a Sunday? Who knows? Where's the temple now? It's in us. We are the temple. We are the temple. You know, um, David says to Solomon, you have got rest on every side. There's no more battles. You have got peace to so go and build that temple. What is the Holy Spirit's job? When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. What is the Holy Spirit's job in each of us? 
to sanctify us, to build us, to help us become more and more like Christ. The similarities are incredible. If only we would stop fighting battles that God has already won, stop fighting battles that we're not meant to fight, stop fighting in our own strength and our own ability and actually go, God, this is all about you and me, Holy Spirit, and I am the temple and you are building me and changing me. I can't change myself. You are changing me. Holy Spirit, this is all about you. And the incredible, powerful thing that I saw, again, is going back to the, the verses 18 and 19 of First Chronicles. David said to Solomon, is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? And we need to apply this to now. For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek, to inquire of and require as your vital necessity, the Lord your God. That's what he said, your job. In the message, it says it easier. If you can read it down the bottom. David says, my part in this was to put down the enemies, to subdue the land to God and his people. Your part is to give yourselves heart and soul to praying to your God. God wants relationship with you. David built he, he um, subdued the enemy so that Solomon could build the temple. Jesus Christ defeated our enemies so that we, now the temple of the Holy Spirit, can have relationship with him. That is what God wants more than anything. He doesn't want you to be in context. He doesn't care if you're successful or not. He doesn't care if you do all the right things or not. He doesn't care if you overcome your sins or not in comparison to he wants relationship with you. All those things matter, but the Holy Spirit does that in you. He wants you to give yourselves heart and soul to praying and knowing and worshiping God. This morning I woke up and these scriptures came to me, so I've added them. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. You know, back in that era, it was all about rules, regulations, sacrifices, following the Ten Commandments and all the other extensions of it. But what does he say here? What does the Lord require of you? Only that you fear him, that you live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him. Micah 6.8 O people, the Lord has told you what is good and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. This is at the end of King Solomon who's the wisest man in the earth. Wisdom from God. His summing up of it all. All has been heard. The end of the matter is this. Fear God, revere and worship him, knowing that he is 
and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. This is the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of his character, the foundation of all happiness. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. The adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, if you can understand all that. And the whole duty of every man, fear God and worship him. And then in Deuteronomy, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Why does he say that? Because he wants you to have God, to love God, to have his heart in, on your mind all the time. He doesn't want you to just come on a Sunday and worship and that's enough. He doesn't want you to just get up in the morning and read a scripture on your hurried way out. All those things are good and really important, but that is not enough. God wants relationship with you above everything else. God wants relationship with you above everything else. More important than anything is knowing him, loving him, constantly learning about him, discovering him. He wants you walking with him humbly every day. He cares about your whinges and your, your irritations and why, God, why do I have to do this? He cares. He doesn't fix your problems instantly, but he cares enough to walk with you. He loves you so much. You know, Ben has been talking about waiting on God and it's been incredible. We all know that scripture, Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait upon God will get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. And you know, Ben told us how in poetry, when there's a triplet like that, they spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. The third one, like it, it, it gains in importance each time. So the third one is of more, um, I, I guess, increases in value. Because, and Ben explained this, we walk in relationship. Walking is what you do every day. Every now and then you soar or you have fireballs come down. And then maybe every now and then you run really hard and, and then you're like, oh, and then you walk. We walk. God wants to walk with us because we walk in relationship and he also told us that in this scripture, those who wait upon God, it's talking about waiting as in a waiter on a table, like who in a restaurant. You know, that scripture in the Greek, um, that word in the Greek, wait, talks about, um, like it, it adds an element of tension. It's not um, waiting as in reclining, just hoping the time will pass. It's waiting as in expectantly. 
And you know, Ben mentioned that when you're a waiter in a restaurant, you do three things. You watch, listen, and then do what the person asks for. And that, as I was thinking about that, is an incredible picture, again, of our relationship with God. It sort of brings about an understanding of our relationship with him in a greater way. Because when you watch, we've got watch, listen, and obey, or I think he had serve. When you watch something or someone, it's usually from a bit of a distance. If you think about someone at a restaurant, Ben and I went to San Sebastian on our 25th wedding anniversary and we went to this really expensive restaurant. And I'll tell you what, those waiters were incredible. Like we would just finish eating and they'd come and they'd take whatever and they'd, they got these little crumb uh, broom things. Has anyone ever been to a restaurant where they sweep you? crumbs in a little tray thing like a dustpan and broom but it's for your table and we'd be like what are they doing it was unbelievable but they were obviously waiting and watching and then when we're done they rush over fill up your glass and they were watching but watching is from a bit of a distance usually if you're watching the football you're not right there kicking the ball are you you're watching in the lounge room (laughs) have to draw close you've got to be closer and as we've discovered more often than not God speaks in a still small voice you need to draw close to him so that he can hear you listen according to the Oxford Living Dictionaries is to give attention to sound or action when listening one is hearing what others are saying and trying to understand what it means. The act of listening involves complex, effective cognitive and behavioural processes. We watch and then we listen, we draw in close and we try and understand. That's not a blasé, flippant thing, that's an attention-consuming thing. We give all our attention to what we're trying to hear when we want to understand. And serving, serving or obeying is something we do as a result of what is being said. Another way to look at, uh, at that is to use the word actualize. It's not so much doing something because you've been told to by a master and you have to obey, but it's out of a love relationship. When God says something to you, you take it and you make it a part of your life. It's a response to love. It becomes who you are. It becomes part of you. And that is our relationship with God in a nutshell. We watch waiting expectantly for God, for him to move, for him to speak, to sense him. You know, I've got a study at home and I sit there and out of the study is, are these beautiful uh, fruit trees. And often I'll look out and I'll see this fruit tree and I'll just sense God. And I went and stood next to it the other day. I said to Ben, please don't think I'm going mad, but I went and like I walked towards it and it's just a beautiful it's really green obviously at the moment and I got really close so that I could almost touch the trunk and the trees and you could sense the tree you could smell the leaves you could hear sounds that I couldn't hear from my window when I looked and saw and then I drew close I got closer and I could sense and feel the fruit tree (laughs) I'm not going mad but that illustration is about us and God 
We need to look and wait and hope for him every day. When you're at work, when you're on the bus, when you're going to bed at night, when you're eating a meal, when you're talking to your kids, look for something of God. And then when there is something, draw closer. Take time. Take time to value what you've seen. And sometimes God speaks. And you hear it and you go, what are you saying? I don't understand. And you're quiet and you're still, and you wait, and God speaks. And then when he speaks, you can't leave it there. So many Christians, we leave it there. And we go, God spoke to me, oh, it's awesome. He's going to do this, and he's going to do that, and he loves me, and yeah, and I'm great, and oh, it's just so good. And then we forget, and we don't take it, and we don't live it. We don't actualize it. We don't make it a part of who we are. And we struggle and we go, God, speak to me again. And you do the whole thing and he speaks to you again. And then we go, yeah, he spoke. And then we walk away and we forget. Our relationship with God is not just God speaking and us going, no, that's great. Yay, yay, yay. It's us taking it, actualizing it and making it a part of who we are. And if we do that, oh, my goodness, The words of those songs become a reality. Our life becomes one of peace and rest where we know God has fought our battles. God has everything in control. He has it all worked out because he loves you. He loves you. He loves each one of you so, so much wherever you're at. He doesn't ask you to change. He doesn't ask you to be someone other than what you are. He doesn't ask you to do something for him. He just loves you as you are. And he says, my Holy Spirit will come in. You're his temple and the Holy Spirit will change you. He will make you the way you're meant to be. He'll convict you of sin. He'll convict you of what you need to do. And then you hear from him and you go, God, yeah, I'll do that. You actualize it. You make it a part of who you are and you change. I want us to close. Maybe we could sing a song. Maybe you're still fighting battles and God is speaking to you about resting in his victory. Maybe it's time for you to stop fighting and your part is to love the Lord your God. Maybe your concept of God is not about relationship, it's about something else. Maybe you just want power, miracles. Maybe you want no problems. Maybe you want an easy road. God is reminding you above all else, he wants relationship with you. Maybe you've been struggling to have relationship with him, feeling you're not hearing his voice. And sometimes even when you do, nothing happens. He's reminding you today that it's about expectant hope, quiet listening and faith, and then living out his words. Let's pray. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just open your heart to God. We get distracted so easily. I get distracted. Just right now, I want you to just talk to God. Just open your heart to Him. And just respond to whatever you feel on your heart. If God is speaking to you about any area, or just respond to Him.
Holy Spirit.